This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Coronial. Hello. I'm Georgie. I'm Alice. I'm Emma. This week, I'm going to tell you about the death of Larry Paul Knight. And he died on Anzac Day 2006 while working in the Beaconsfield gold mine. Ah, uh, yes. I think I remember this. And from now on, I'm going to call the Beaconsfield gold mine BGM because cool. it'll just save me saying it. <laughs> so Beaconsfield is in Tasmania. It's a small township located approximately 40 kilometres north of Launceston. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the geography, basically, therefore, it's almost near the northern coast of Tasmania, mm. the flatter top side, in about like essentially the centre of Tasmania. Yeah. So gold was first discovered in the town and mined around that area from 1877, so quite a while ago. Mm. But by 1914, the operation of the mine had become abandoned. Okay. And this mining area was hosted by a geological structure known as the Tasmania Reef. Reef here is the geological structure, which I will outline a little bit later when I talk about the rocks that made it up, but it's a rock structure. It's not an underwater structure. Oh, okay. Okay. So I assume saying- when we talk about Great Barrier Reef, that's the rock structure under the ocean, but that's the main structure that the mine is established around. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give a warning here of anyone who is actually interested in this and geology and engineering around mines very much. You may want to read this yourself. There's a lot I did not understand. Fair enough. I really struggled with this one. Normally I really quite enjoy learning the extra stuff. Certainly I've learned a lot about five-point harnesses and those kinds of things. This one, no. (laughs) Not even in the slightest. Anyway, at the point that it was abandoned in 1914, it extended to a depth of 454 metres. And then from 1969, it was re-established into the organisation Beaconsfield Mining Group. And by 2006, when this event occurred that led to the death of Larry Knight, the mine's decline had been advanced to just below 1,100 metres and ore extraction had progressed to 980 metres. Oh, that's a long way down. Yeah. It is quite a quite a moderate way down. I... Presume the plan was to keep going below 980. Like, I presume you dig it out and then you do your extraction. I'm not entirely sure why the two of them are two different levels. But anyway. Me neither. So which one was deeper? The mine advanced to 1100 mm-hmm. and the ore extraction progressed to 980. Yeah, okay, I've got no answer to that. Yeah. The underground workings at... BGM were accessed via a vertical shaft initially, and then below that there was a gently spiralling decline. My autobiography. Developed in the foot wall of the reef. All was hauled by a truck along those, so yep. they're, they're pretty big, and then hoisted up the vertical shaft in six-ton skips. And yep. did the humans get down there the same way that all Honestly, they didn't actually describe didn't they go, that. I remember they got up in it. Yeah, I assume the vertical shaft contained a lift that carried both ore and humans. 
So on the 25th of April 2006, Mr. Knight, Mr. Todd Russell and Mr. Brent Webb were all rostered to work the night shift. So they were directed by their shift boss to continue erecting a bund wall beneath a recently mined panel. And it was during this process that Mr. Russell and Mr. Webb were working within an open metal cage and Mr. Knight was within the cabin of a telehandler. For those who don't know what a telehandler is, think yeah, cherry picker cross forklift. Okay. Uh-huh. That's what he was working in. So basically down Why? in the mine, he was using that to haul various equipment that they needed right. for okay, the people that around. were doing yep. the stuff within the metal cage, the two other guys. And it was, did you say it was an open cage? Yes. So like enclosed on the top I don't and know open where, on the sides? I don't or? know where the enclosure was, but yeah. when rocks fell, they lived. So, so it probably had, I assume, bars on top, the top, but maybe side was fine. Was, yeah. I, or maybe like one side was open, yeah. two sides. Yeah. I, I don't know entirely. I don't okay. know why they needed to be in the metal cage. I don't know much more around yeah, that. Yeah, fair enough. Basically, they, they were constructing a retaining wall for like storing things to try and stop the rocks from falling. Ironically. No, no, no. For the purpose of containing materials. Like rocks. Well, I mean, they're like in a mine, so probably. <laughs> so, yeah, so he was in a telehandler moving stuff around for the others that were working within this cage. Mm-hmm. At 9.23, a local magnitude 2.3 seismic event occurred that caused three falls of ground within the 925-meter drive, the one that they were working in, as well as one of them occurred at the 915-meter level. The seismic activity was not a natural phenomenon. It's not like a normal earthquake. It mm-hmm. was activity that occurred as a direct result of mining in that area. Oh, okay. And induced by the activities that were being conducted there. Approximately 800 tons of ground engulfed the telehandler and caused the entrapment of Mr. Russell and Mr. Webb within the metal cage. Yeah. That's a lot of weight. So much rock, right? I can't even imagine what that physically looks like yeah because for me like in my mind i'm like yeah they're in a small metal cage and he's on like a bobcatty forklifty yeah, yeah. cherry pickery thing you know like yeah but they're 900 meters mm. below ground and then 800 tons and then yeah yeah so like just fell on them it must be a very vast space that they're working in they're yeah. Not yeah that's what i'm imagining yeah, yeah. it's quite a large space absolutely dark i assume they have lighting <laughs> But I still think it's going to be very dark once yeah. those rocks have fallen. Absolutely. And all the dust that would have yeah. been oh, kicked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the things that they used to create a suitable working environment probably yeah. wouldn't have been effective anymore. Yeah. yeah. Not that it becomes a suitable working environment after 800 tons of rock fall. So a remote-controlled bogger was used in efforts to remove the fallen ground. And on the 27th of April, two days later, it was at this time that the body of Mr. Knight was discovered. Right. Yeah. An autopsy concluded that his death likely occurred shortly after the groundfall as a result of the multiple injuries he sustained when he was buried by rockfall. Yeah. So there was no evidence to suggest that he survived and yep. then subsequently yeah. died. It was yep. that he yep. likely was deceased as a result of the event. Yeah. And how did they know that something had happened down there? Yeah. Did they have any monitoring systems down yeah. there? To, yeah, yeah they have monitoring systems that... like located around the mine looking yeah. at seismic activity. Yeah, okay. So they would have seen that the... and they were like, oh, wait, hang yeah, on. Yeah, something's happened. Yeah. We haven't heard from, from these Larry, people. Todd, and Brent. 
and it's down this drive where they were working. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. It wasn't until the 30th of April that it was identified that both Mr. Russell and Mr. Webb remained alive but entrapped within the Rockfall. Wow. Wow. So, so like that's why later. I think it became such a publicised yeah. event. Yeah. Because it took them five days. So they, they assumed they were digging for bodies. Yeah. The other two falls of ground that I mentioned then hindered the access to getting to the trapped men, mm-hmm. and hence they were required to build a purpose-built tunnel to them before they could get them out, and this took a subsequent nine days, leading to a total of 13 days of entrapment. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that building a new tunnel yeah. in a mine mm-hmm. that deep. Yeah. That's not And a trying to make thing. sure that you're not going to have another, like, rockfall yeah. at the same time. So, yeah, they were trapped for a long time. They spent five days being unknown that they were still living and, it, yeah, it would have been a small, dark, enclosed space that would have been horrendous. And would they – could they get food or water to them? <laughs> like, water, and did so. they know that they were going to be rescued? Like, obviously, they didn't know in their first five days because – After that – this is only going back to my memory of the news reports at the time. Nothing was documented about these other two men other than they were this, freed. Yeah, okay. It didn't go into them at all because it wasn't investigating yeah. their but, existence. Yeah. But my memory from – Back then, was they were trying to figure out how to get them food and water, but I don't know how successfully they could. In my memories, they came out very dehydrated. So oh, you would. I mean, yeah, even so if I they could that, get some water to you, you're still. So I assume that they know. didn't get, yeah, particularly yeah. decent supplies. After that, the mine was immediately closed. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> for the recovery operations, but then also BGM didn't want to resume until safety could be confirmed. And so a safety commission occurred. And this ultimately was conducted by the mine with oversight from WorkSafe Tasmania. And so my initial flag here was like, so they just let the mine that it occurred in take care of checking whether it was safe. That seemed like a conflict of interest to me. Yeah. But with the oversight of WorkSafe and a lot of what this inquest comes from is that inquest that the mine did. And it kind of all seemed that everyone involved in the inquest, including the coroner, was accepting that this was adequate evidence because it was an adequate inquest okay. completed yep. by right. them. So, yeah. I'm just going to go with that of like, okay, that everyone seemed okay that it was of reasonable quality without any concerns there. Yep. So, the major recommendations of the safety review included changes in the mining method to include football drives in those areas of mines affected by seismicity. And this method eliminates the need for workers to even be present in the ore drives during ore extraction, therefore eliminating the risk of rockfalls occurring where personnel are. And so, that was the main thing that kind of came from that. And so, we're going to go through how they'd not already got there in the first place, essentially. Mm -hmm. It came down to the safety and risk assessments performed by BGM and concerns around the adequacy of them. Worked safe Tasmania's previous oversight requirements and oversight into the mine prior to this event, along with a brief discussion about the mine's financial state and whether that had any implication to the events that happened. So now I'm going to tell you about the geology of the mines. Bear with me on this. (laughs) Don't ask me any follow-up questions. The dominant rocks are medium-grain quartz pebble, interbedded with fine to medium grain quartz sandstone whereas the reef itself which i mentioned is the one that's not the below one that's the ocean but in the... fact yeah what the whole mine is established around yeah. yeah is a result of a series of fluid injections along the sheared conduit and predominantly consists of laminated vein quartz and laminated anchorite sulfide 
sounds... None of those words meant anything to me. I was like, oh yeah, quartz. They're those rocks that we looked yeah, at in school, right? Oh, cute. Yeah. A laminated vein quartz. So I assume it's just like a strip of rock that is different going through these other yeah. fine to medium grains. And that it sounds like the reef is a stronger form of substance. That makes sense. Maybe. To I have no extent. idea. Feel free for geologists to. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> They weren't even, like, particularly helpful diagrams either, I have to say. That's annoying. Like, uh. Anyway, so the host rocks have been subjected to intense faulting and faulting that has resulted in the bedding now dipping approximately 50 to 70 degrees to the northeast. And then there is a distinctive, moderately inclined fold that occurs between the 965 and 1100-meter level below surface. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what that means. Additionally, regional scale faulting has also allowed the development of some transverse shears. So I think just some jutting out bits below the surface. The rocks were rated to be between fair and good, but the reef itself was noted to be strongly microfractured. The microfractured is where there are healed discontinuities that appear throughout. Okay. Well, like, yeah, microfractured. That makes sense to me. It's a little break. Yeah. I don't think about it with rocks, though. I think about it with bones. bones. Yeah, me too. (laughs) This is an issue during the mining process as increased strain causes the reef to break on pre-existing microfractures into very small pieces, leading to reduced strength in the reef. Yet the host rock, not the reef, was felt to be less subject to microfractures itself. Probably stronger, right? No, I think the reef was stronger, but yeah, had that's what more I mean, fractures. Like the reef is stronger. Yeah. Oh, it has more fractures. So the reef is stronger, but has fractures, whereas the host yeah. rock doesn't fracture. But when it breaks, it's a fine to medium grain quartz and sandstone. No idea what's going on, but okay. Yep. Uh, pebble and sandstone. So I think it's not as strong. It doesn't have as mi- many micro fractures. Mm-hmm. But when it breaks, it's going to break off it's into tiny really little break. bits. Yeah. It's not going to break off into like one full sheeting of one really big structure yeah yeah and like the micro fractures wouldn't be a problem unless something happened like you dug into it or there was an earthquake or there's lots of like seismic if it's activity undis- undisturbed it would probably be fine because it's being held in place by the other yeah, weaker structure but yeah. but still fine yeah, yeah. she was then when you try and disturb it like build a mine around yes it. exactly <laughs> yeah the rockfall on the day of Mr. Knight's death was interpreted to have been generated by a slip on an unmined section of the shear in the hanging wall of the workings, which effectively unclamped the structure, allowing it to slip. Yeah. The support system was unable to resist the additional forces arriving from the seismic wave and failed because of insufficient anchorage capacity or incompatibility between the various support system components. So they had utilized a number of different engineering techniques to hold everything in place and they suspect that that was not adequate mm-hmm. right like the little tiny screws that were in the um the, the gold coast ones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, they were meant to be 12 and they went for six or something, yeah, something like that. yeah <laughs> yeah something like that there's actually 
there is a reasonable diagram in terms of explaining how they were making their tunnels for this. Oh, yeah. And it's a compressive arch, which I'll come to later. But yeah, like there absolutely was a good diagram of exactly how that should have worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, as the mine became deeper, it was necessary to manage the effects of the increased stress and induce seismicity on the mine. Should I explain what seismicity was? No, but I like the word. <laughs> Me too. It's really nice. Is uh, it just to do with seismic activity? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mining-induced seismicity is the response of the rock mass to stress redistribution as a result of mining activities. This response mechanism can either be a forced movement on existing structural defects, such as a fault, shear, or bedding plane, as opposed to passive movement where the block just slumps or slides or falls under the influence of gravity. Seismicity could also be the failure of intact rocks or a starburst or a combination of the to so force movement or failure it can take the form of many small incremental events where stored energy is released over time over a long period of time or it can take the form of a single large event where the majority of the stored energy is released instantaneously or again also a combination of the two so a few little ones and a big one or a big one and this one was a big one yes the largest previous one that they kind of talked about in this was a 2.0 and this ended up being a 2.3 yeah. yeah, right. The mine first became aware of mining-induced stress and seismicity in 2002 when it was still driving at 760 metres below. Mm. So it had been going on for a number of years. And so as a consequence, they had ultimately along the way had a number of systems in place to measure the seismicity, as we you asked before. And so they, at the time of the event, were using a 12-channel ISS microseismic system, which recorded in real time an estimated event location and magnitude of seismic activity. And this had been installed since August 2005, so a little under 12 months. And then analysis of the data was carried out or could be analyzed in real time. Following the death of Mr. Knight, they also reviewed the data and it showed an increase in number of events occurring in October 2005 as well as since the beginning of 2006, essentially every single month had consistent increased number from previously reported. Mm. The so peaks that of these should have been a red flag. Mm. Yeah, essentially. They should have known, but at the same time, we'll come to it. The coroner essentially said, though, it was still difficult even knowing that that was happening to predict how, when, and where. Yeah. To have actually been able to prevent from that knowledge. And so it's kind of... All well and good to measure, but can you actually do anything about it? Yeah. And it and it sounds like, well, yes, they could. They needed to have improved their other structures. So just recording the data wasn't well, yeah, super wasn't, helpful. Yeah. If you're recording the data but not doing anything with it, then <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's useless. Although there are some like other hints of like, well, if you see a build-up or if you suddenly see a patch of a lot less seismic activity, is it going to lead to, as I said, that, alternate option where it releases a huge amount all at once as well so seeing dips in activity actually could also be a concern yeah and then yeah what they were seeing when they analyzed the data as well was that peaks of activity were interpreted to correspond with production of stope blasting in highly stressed pillars when following relatively quieter periods of mining so they could also align them with certain activities that they were doing so another 
point to be like, well, if you know that that activity is increasing at the times that you're doing these things, what are you doing about others? Like worker personnel safety yeah. during those times, knowing that they're higher risk periods. Yeah. There was no evidence to suggest that the shears or faults located in the hanging wall that occurred in this fall had previously demonstrated seismic activity that could indicate that that it was likely to occur there either. Despite whether the specific event was predictable by their seismic activity monitors, the coroner remained concerned about whether BGM was managing its mine in a manner which could adequately allow the real likelihood that on any day there could be a seismic event potentially larger in magnitude, as large as 2.5. And so critical to this issue was the suitability and sufficiency of the ground support system and BGM's risk management. Now, I don't understand mining. We've talked about that. But I think when they're discussing ground support system, they actually mean the rock of the roofing space of the mine. Because they're supporting yep. the ground above, above them yep. to not yep. fall on them. So when I say ground support system, it's actually the ground that's above you. Yep. Yeah, no, like the ground cool. like our ground. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the ground that we are currently on, that yes. the miners are very far below. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand that. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. No, uh, it took me a really long time to wrap my head around it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why do they keep talking about the ground? That wasn't falling anywhere. <laughs> They're underground. Now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't they just call it a rock support system then? That would just be so much because easier. The whole thing is made of rock. I know. It's a bit like because in the rock that could be the the, the, the bit, the bit yeah, they're I, standing on. I, but it's the bit that's above them. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like with the whole of this thing, I'm like, why can't you make this simpler? Okay. So critical to the issue was the ground support system. A rockfall event also occurred in 2005, in October, so six months prior to this, mm-hmm. that involved 350-ton fall of ground that occurred at the 925 and 915-metre levels. Uh, so, again, at these same levels that this occurred. Yep. The second fall at the 915-metre level caused BGM to cease mining until safety was established again. Previously, during the mine's operation, the use of a modified evoker method was used to manage the depths that the mine went to. This is just a mining method. I'm not going to go into detail. Cool. Following the October rockfall event, a change to an alternative extraction method named the checkerboard method occurred. A checkerboard method is just an incremental method felt to reduce the risk of groundfall by alleviating higher levels of stress. In the top sills of storing blocks and reducing the occurrence of large seismic events on the Tasmanian shear. Interestingly, an engineering consultant was hired by BGM and reported his concerns around the Evoca method from early 2005, mm-hmm. so prior to the October event, and about the risk of seismic activity. But this wasn't acted upon until after that October groundfall event. Yeah. In the report reviewed in the inquest, it was found that the ground support system was insufficient to provide anchorage capacity for the system and surface retention connections. So, like, the roof wasn't strong enough to keep the ground up. Essentially, yeah. And that there was conflicting opinions from expert consultants about what type of ground support to use and whether the one that they were using was sufficient. Mm. Hence, the coroner came to the conclusion that the suitability of the ground support system should have at least been questioned by BGM following this October event 
six months prior to Mr Knight's death Mm -hmm. and alternative support should have been considered. However, the inquest revealed that one of the consultants that they'd hired, in fact, had self-audited his own ground support structure system and concluded it was sufficient. Self-auditing. Yeah. Brilliant. Additionally, the coroner had concluded that the rockfall in October was itself an indication that the ground support system was, in fact, inadequate. Yeah. So BGM essentially should have known that their ground support system was inadequate due to it failing. Yeah, there was <laughs> evidence that it wasn't yeah. up to scratch. And therefore that they should have mm. considered alternative options. So following that rockfall in October, BGM did in fact make a plan to review to ensure the mine safety. And this included things by the level-by-level level audit, which we've talked about, along with reviews of whether the supports were sufficient, including for the seismicity being experienced in the mine, Changes in production schedule to allow all of this activity to the mine and improving, so making sure that those changes did occur, that they weren't stopped by we need to meet production requirements. They also wanted a PR plan and senior management to be on board. And so with that, they did get advice from several independent consultants during that time, including the independent consultant being the one that they'd already previously hired to advise them on the ground sports that continued to advise them on the ground sports. Right, so he didn't listen to the first time. He came in and said, these are all chill, and then they hired him back. Oh, I see. And he went, yeah, they're still all chill. Yeah. Right. Didn't want to get a second opinion. Well, they did They did also get second opinions that were conflicting. And but so, they yeah, went with they... the chill guys, for you? Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't do anything. Went, yeah. <laughs> they essentially went, well, he ordered them, and they're fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the coroner was like, you did all the right steps. You you tried mm. to get all of these reviews and all that kind of stuff, but you still kind of didn't meet the end goal of creating safer yep. ground structure support systems. So as I mentioned, they therefore decided to change the production schedule after October to this checkerboard sequencing thing. But there was conflicting evidence presented at the inquest about who suggested it, who approved it, and how it actually ended up going into that change. And so the coroner felt that this also provided evidence that they should have had a more systematic and rigorous assessment applied and that, you know, October was the opportunity to have done so and even then they kind of didn't hit the mark in terms of that. Mm. Also going along with the, the fact that there were several parties involved that all kind of not put the blame on others, but suggested that it was someone else's doing. Yeah, it wasn't um, me, it was... But there was no yeah. obvious, like, someone specifically opposing yeah. that change. So he was kind of saying, well, you must have all therefore passively agreed at least yeah. by letting it happen because you will have reasonably known it happened. Yeah. And so it comes back to some of those other points that we've talked about of people willingly ignoring issues doesn't mean that there isn't still some blame yeah. applied if you still allow it to happen. Yeah. Blame's not the right word. Anyway. And so the coroner ultimately said the likelihood would have been significantly reduced had BGM adopted and applied more thorough and rigorous assessment to the process as this may have led to the identification of inadequacies in the ground support and hence changes to mining methods that reduce personnel risk, such as the method that has ultimately been put in place where they aim to just not have personnel involved in the ore extraction in the first place yeah right so not actually having anyone yeah. underground 
I think it's entirely underground, but in that specific process that they were doing, yeah, that, that they were doing at the time of the rockfall, yeah, didn't right. necessarily lead to the rockfall, but the resulted in them being there at a higher risk time that they said they yep. probably could have predicted based on the seismicity activity right. monitors and that they were more likely to have higher seismicity at this particular point in their production schedule and so therefore they should try to reduce numbers in these high risk areas at those particular points in time yeah all that kind of stuff yeah so, so i mean coming- they didn't have a huge amount of people in the mine at the time mm. in only three in that particular drive. Right. There were more people. Up so, there. I mean, yeah. that was at 9.25 yeah. for that one shift in that one drive, doing that one job. Yeah. doesn't mention how many other people were where. Yeah. Yep. I assume mines that go to 900 metres below surface level have more than three people in them. At 9.25 at night? I'm not sure. Yeah. You true. Would, sure. Yeah. I don't know what their overnight production's like. Mm. But no the idea. fact that they had people there overnight meant it's a uh, 24-hour uh, So they were behind schedule. I mean, we can skip to that if you want. But basically, the final question which arose in the inquest was whether the financial state of BGM impacted on Mr. Knight's death. So the Allstate Group was the organization that held a majority interest in the mine, and they'd been in administration since 2001. And this oh, happened wow. in uh, April 2006. So there was a concern that their indebtedness and the fact of their administration could have impacted on the decision-making of the organisation to detriment of the workers' safety, along with whether there had been any kind of commercial concern for their unsecured creditor Macquarie Bank to influence the decision-making as well. It's always about the money, isn't it? Always. Yep. Uh, and so the mine in April had been behind its production targets and it was like – significantly behind and so they had put in an accelerated schedule but it actually got them caught up but was in the five days preceding mr knight's death this is reminding me of the royal show yeah, yeah. where they're like oh yeah. we've we had downtime because the thingy was broken yeah so yeah, we yeah. better yeah, yeah get yeah. as many but- people in as possible keep it open for as long as possible but the coroner from his evidence throughout this inquest didn't find any evidence to say that there'd been any financial influence that had led to compromise of safety of the staff. Okay. so Which was really good. And yeah. his argument to that was, well, in October when they looked at needing all of that additional resources to look into safety, they did it without compromise. When yep. they said that they needed to slow or halt production to look into safety, they did it without compromise. And therefore, yep. even though it would have impacted their financial situation in yep. a worse way, they yep. still did it even if it wasn't necessarily the best safety inquest that could have been done, mm-hmm. as evidenced by the fact yeah. that they still didn't necessarily make the improvements that should have been made, yeah. that it wasn't from a financial gain perspective. Yeah, okay. Finally, the involvement of WorkSafe Tasmania was criticised a bit in this. It, as a overseeing organisation and governing body, should have been providing oversight to the mine, And it was required by legislation for workplaces to give notice of dangerous incidents as part of the Workplace Health and Safety Act 1995, including if a person is killed or suffers serious bodily harm or if a dangerous injury occurs of which a person could have been killed or injured. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so that October one should have come under that because someone might could have have been been killed. killed. And it actually did, and WorkSafe Tasmania was immediately involved and notified of that event. Okay. 
However, due to staffing limitations, no site visit was able to be conducted and hence BGM was permitted to manage the investigation without WorkSafe Tasmania involvement. Am I having deja vu? Have we done another case where... Like, WorkSafe didn't get involved? Oh, um, because they were understaffed? Or they were heavily criticised for... Wasn't yeah. that the, the royal show? Yeah, probably. Because they were involved. Must have been the show. I reckon it was the show. It might have been. Anyway. Because I think there were a couple of different WorkSafes involved because it travelled around. Yeah. Yeah, theirs was mainly the lack of communication between them. Yeah. But I don't know, that just gave me major deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, hence BGM was permitted to manage the investigation without WorkSafe Tasmania involvement. The coroner felt, and I quote, this was an abrogation of its standard statutory duty to inspect, monitor, and enforce safe work practices at the mine, thereby denying Mr. Knight the layer of protection which he was entitled to expect from a properly functioning inspectorate. But the coroner did concede that it did not necessarily hold WorkSafe Tasmania responsible for the events that led to Mr. Knight's death just because they hadn't been following up on that. Mm. Yeah, I guess in the end it is the mine's responsibility. Yeah, like I guess he was like, well, they were aware they had been informed of the outcomes of BGM's investigation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so their lack of involvement wouldn't have changed those steps. Yeah. Additional to the reduced involvement, it became apparent that WorkSafe Tasmania were also not informed of all significant falls of ground that occurred at BGM, though. However, the wording of the legislation is a little bit vague in terms of person could have been, might have been involved suffered bodily injury or dangerous incident etc so but like that could happen you know someone slips over exactly the might haves are a little bit yeah and so bgm couldn't be held like negligent for not meeting this legislative requirement from their lack of notification from those kinds of things given that they did report significant major events yeah the coroner did therefore comment and recommend a change in legislation here to ensure that WorkSafe Tasmania is notified of all unplanned or unexpected falls of ground except by occurring in a location where no personnel would ever be expected to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially, therefore, just making that quite clear around. You must tell them about every single fall of ground. Yeah. Unless you're never expecting that anyone would ever be involved. Yeah, if it's possible that a human could have been there at the time, yeah, tell them. At the time of the inquest... The coroner noted that a notification between the mine and WorkSafe Tasmania had been trialled, a new system, and it was working successfully such that plans were being made to extend the program to other mines within the state for their Rockfall events. So clearly with that concern, it had been identified already since the Mr. Nice death and it had already been essentially managed from that perspective. Yeah, they were improving the way they were doing it. Yeah. In terms of WorkSafe Tasmania's inability to provide adequate supervision, government funds had subsequently been provided to increase inspector numbers for mines from two to five inspectors. However, as it turns out, it was not a very popular job. (laughs) And three years after Mr Knight's death at the time of the inquest being written, WorkSafe Tasmania had only ever achieved to get a maximum of four inspectors. And I mean that by like... It's not even like in that three years they'd maintained the same four inspectors. Yeah, yeah. there was one point where they had four, but <laughs> they it had wasn't four all at the same time. time. Yeah. And it wasn't the same four now that had initially yeah. been hired or anything like yeah. that. So it's a high turnover job and uh, 
So not many people are interested in those job advertisements when they go out. And even then, the annual income had been significantly increased. Oh, sweeten the pie? Yeah, to obtain a suitable individual for the role, and even then they'd struggled. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, the coroner questioned the sustainability of making it up to five. Yeah. So, therefore, you know, other things needed to be considered. And then the coroner therefore recommended yearly audits of the performance of the newly commissioned Office of the Chief Inspector of Mines, which involved this WorkSafe Tasmania and in its inspectors, to ensure that it continued to meet its statutory functions, given it was having trouble with meeting its inspector requirements. Well, mm. can we just at least make sure it's doing what it's meant to be doing, even if you can't get to the number of people that you need? And finally, the coroner recommended a reform to the occupational health and safety needs of the mining industry to reduce events like this happening in the future. And it sounds like around this time, I didn't do much extra research, but that it had been called for for a while. And this was yeah, just okay. the coroner just adding more fuel to the fire of we really need to finally look into getting some proper legislation around mines, not just yep. it falling under the Workplace Health and Safety Act of 1995. And so coming back to WorkSafe Tasmania not necessarily being notified of all of the Rockfall events, it also turned out that BGM, their own internal incident report wasn't overly consistent either. And so when the WorkSafe Tasmania inspector was provided with the list of Rockfalls that had happened at the mine, he denied being informed of many of the fall events and stated that that number presented to him would be concerning. But again, conceded that he wasn't actually going to be able to help, even if he had been told about them anyway. Yeah, right. So, pros and cons. But ultimately, the system used for Rockfall event reporting at BGM had been in place since early 2004, but as I said, wasn't consistently capturing events, mm-hmm. including a fall that occurred just three days prior to Mr. Knight's death, despite meeting the guidelines to for that reporting system. Yeah. And hence, no formal inspection of the area was completed as should have been done by their incident reporting systems, etc. And so again, just like further harboring on that safety risk management that BGM just was struggling to hit the mark on. Yeah. That really needed reform. But unfortunately, again, the coroner was unable to find that this specifically factored into Mr. Knight's death. Yeah. And so this, for me, this case was, sure, WorkSafe Tasmania needed to do a few things. Our legislation needed to do a few things. But that ultimately their safety risk profile was really underdone, but nothing directly linking to Mr. Knight's death. And so it's sad, again, that something like that has to happen for it to finally get called out. Yeah. yeah. And that even when getting called out, again, not that they should specifically get the blame, but that... I feel like they've skated on thin ice and managed to, like, get away with it. Yeah. That's probably going to backfire on me making that statement. But but do you get what I mean of, like, I wish it had been an alternative thing that made them really have to be like, okay, we've got to make some changes now. Yeah, rather than ending up the way that it did. Than yeah. a coronial inquest. Yeah. yeah. If it had been identified by WorkSafe Tasmania and they'd said, we're going to fine you if you don't get your act together yeah. or – have you thought that this risk management profile that you're utilising is inadequate? Should we consider alternatives? But it sounds like the mine still had best of intentions. 
It sounds like they were still trying to implement yeah. steps that had planned to make things better, that had planned to keep people safe. And so it's also just a little bit sad that it wasn't identified that it probably wasn't the best way of managing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, not that many recommendations, not much else to say about this one. No, it's an interesting one. It was quite complex. So I was- I just really wanted to read this because I was interested because it's something from my childhood that I was like, oh, yeah. I remember that time that it was all over the news yeah. that these guys were trapped underground. And yeah, so I, yeah, and I remember know, when they came out. Like, I just, that yeah. vision. The footage of that. Yeah. The footage is in my mind. Yeah. Like, I can remember it. But it just sounds like, again, it was just another Swiss cheese of, like, a few things happened, people thought they were managing it yep. correctly. But they weren't. And it just, yeah, it just wasn't quite enough. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. It's always nice when you can sort of put background to a memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I wasn't old enough to fully understand the complexity. I mean, I'm not old enough to fully understand the complexities <laughs> now. <laughs> but, or just not but, yeah. smart enough. And that's not on you, that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally on me as well. I was like, this is not. Yeah, this one was hard, but, <laughs> but interesting. Mm. So. All right, well, I'm going to wrap up and we will see See you again next next time. All right, bye. Bye. bye.